Truth Espresso, episode 106. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso, to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. And now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Well, hey there, friends, fans, and those spying out our liberty in Christ. This is your host, Daniel Minnick, and this is Truth Espresso. Welcome. If you're just tuning in, this episode is about marriage and particularly answering the question about what does the Bible mean when it refers to marriage as one flesh. And we're going to get deep into that. And this episode just so happens to be in a series of episodes uh, talking about marriage. So I'd invite you, if you haven't, to uh, rewind a few episodes back and start with how God wrote our love story and see how my wife and I have developed the topics of discussion on marriage from our own experience and from the Word of God. And so we hope that you get some good tips from that. Uh, The last two episodes were tips for singles looking for a spouse. And so especially if you're single, check those out too. And now, uh, to continue the series on marriage and to talk with me about what does one flesh mean in marriage, my wife Chelsea joins me again as the special guest on Truth Espresso. And so, sweetheart, welcome back to Truth Espresso. Thank you for having me. And I guess if we're talking about one flesh, that kind of makes sense that I'm on here with you, right? (laughs) Yes, definitely. (laughs) I wouldn't have it any other way or to have any other guest for this episode. (laughs) And so when the word of God refers to one flesh, does it mean that somehow we squish the husband and wife together and make one body or what in the world is this talking about? Well, one flesh comes from Genesis 2:24, which says, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. So we're going to get into what does this mean? It says that the man cleaves to his wife. Does that mean like <laughs> they're they're touching each other and never letting go um, they got to be tied together at the hip or you know as i mentioned before that they somehow become one person it seems a little bit strange here but this is what the word of god says after god made eve for adam to be his wife and to be his helpmeet and therefore a man leaves his parents and he finds a wife and they join together to become one flesh and so what does this mean well we're going to get uh, deep into that and there are some aspects of this that might come to a lot of people's minds but i think it goes a little deeper than just that although it's important uh, we're going to talk about one flesh pertaining to the whole sphere of marriage 
So, sweetheart, you ready to talk about what one flesh means? Yep, sounds good. So we have uh, basically an outline of three points about what we think one flesh means pertaining to marriage. Now, the first point is that the couple, the husband and wife, as God has designed the institution of marriage to be, is that they are one flesh in intimacy. Now, that is probably the first thing that comes to mind when it says that the two are joined together and they become one flesh. Yes, they start a family unit, and by their becoming one flesh, they bring forth children, and there's that union there. And so, yes, indeed, uh, the husband and wife, uniquely, the two together become one flesh, uh, two, not three, not uh, ten, but the two become one flesh. And that doesn't just mean that the husband and wife produce children, because there is a commitment, as we talked about, covenant, not a contract. And so the idea is that you have two planning for one life together till death do you part, and there's a unique relationship together, and that's found in intimacy with just the two of you for as long as um, the marriage is in session as God has designed it. And so, pertaining to this one flesh in intimacy, I would like to also say that that means no cheating. <laughs> so that includes no looking around at other options while you're married, no flirting with others because the two become one flesh. And that means not only that you practice the intimacy proper for husband and wife, but your minds, your hearts, your souls are united in that aspect of intimacy so that your goal is to secure that one flesh flesh in intimacy. And so the word of God is clear in that, that there should be no cheating. Yeah, I really like this first point of the one flesh in intimacy also entails no cheating. And I think when Jesus was telling the disciples in Matthew 5, 28, that if a man even looks at a woman, he has committed adultery in his heart. And just how serious it is that some people use the excuse of, oh, I was just looking or, oh, I'm just flirting. We're just teasing each other. Well, God takes stuff like that seriously. He says that if you even look at another woman, that that's actually committing adultery in your heart. So just not even going down that road of hurting your marriage Yes, sweetheart, there's more to intimacy than just the act. And we do would say that someone who's looking will often eventually find himself actually breaking intimacy outwardly. And Matthew 5, 28 that you brought up, sweetheart, that's in a list of verses where Jesus is telling his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount about what the law really means. What did God intend when he wrote the law for their outward actions? And every one of those outward actions have the intention that your heart is in it. And when it comes to intimacy here, when God said that the husband and wife become one flesh and that you're to be faithful to your spirit, spouse. He didn't just mean in an outward fashion and that you can 
divorce that, no pun intended, from your heart, from your thoughts inwardly, just as Jesus explained that to hate your brother is to be a murderer, because just telling someone you're not allowed to murder, that doesn't mean you can think and do anything up to that point. That's not the purpose of why God said thou shall not kill. (laughs) It means because the law is love your neighbor as yourself. That's why, you know, you do not kill because you're supposed to love instead. (laughs) And so as Jesus explains that the law given for the covenant of marriage, it's not that as long as you do not perform a particular outward action that you can inwardly hate your spouse or that you can inwardly, you know, desire to cheat on your spouse. So being one flesh in intimacy means no cheating, which includes no flirting in the workplace, no looking around for entertaining things in your mind. I just think that when God describes how the husband and wife become one flesh, that the one flesh is something so beautiful and something that you want to protect. So Mm. just kind of keeping it a priority and thinking, how can I best protect this amazing gift that God gave a husband and wife? And my favorite movie, again, Fireproof, (laughs) that song in there talking about a slow fade, how cheating or even like committing adultery doesn't just happen overnight. It usually starts with a process. So it could just be, you know, flirting with the secretary, like you mentioned, and then pretty soon it leads to other things. And before you know it, you're falling into the sin of adultery. So I think that when you take one flesh seriously, how God wants us to, that we try our best to protect that and putting those safeguards in place. So again, not even trying to entertain thoughts or I think Philippians 4, 8 talks about what you dwell on, things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are of good rapport just being mindful. And I know we teach our kids this too, just being mindful of what you're listening to, what you say, what you look at, because that is going to affect your heart. That's going to affect how you see other people, how you treat other people. And I think that God has those verses in there for us to take heed to. Amen, sweetheart. Definitely some good thoughts, especially in this world today that, you know, is every way contrary to this. Everything that's romanticized in movies about unfaithfulness and noncommittal and the degradation or dissolution of marriage. Yes, one flesh definitely includes a solid intimacy in which you're not looking or even entertaining the idea in your mind. Proverbs 5, 15 through 18 is another passage that this reminds me of where the wise preacher said, Drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well. 
Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad, and rivers of waters in the streets. Let them be only thine own, and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed, and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. So this is like a poetic way of talking about the intimacy between husband and wife, and it's uh, all about the two (laughs) being the one flesh, not more than two. And really, if it is just the two in everything from outward to inward, it is a beautiful thing. It's like rivers of waters flowing in the streets, you know, and quenching thirst. And, you know, (laughs) you can't properly quench your thirst unless you're drinking your own water. And (laughs) a lot of people out there, when they're so flippant and they're not committing, they can't quench their thirst for desires. You know, it's, it's an endless desire for more and different. And without the bonds of faithfulness and marriage, it it loses its beauty. And it seems that a lot of people struggle with the idea that, well, everyone's doing it. Mm -hmm. So it's okay because I know, you know, my Christian friends doing it or my youth pastors doing it or different things like that. People make up excuses saying like, well, everyone's doing it, whether it be viewing pornography or flirting with someone who you shouldn't be flirting with. They just make up the excuse that it's okay because I'm in good company. Everyone else is doing it. But that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that we need to guard our hearts and our minds against these things and to have a standard to even not look or not play with fire, basically. Hmm. Yeah, as the Bible says, can a man take fire into his bosom and not get burned? (laughs) And, you know, we uh, deceive ourselves if we think we can do that, you know. And I'd like to bring out the point here that uh, one flesh and intimacy and no cheating goes beyond even the intimacy of that is not just physical intimacy that's part of a kind of a bigger spectrum of the whole package of what we would consider intimacy. It's mutual love too. So here's some advice about being one flesh and intimacy. Don't talk bad about your spouse to friends or family or co-workers because how could you possibly have a faithfulness and intimacy with your spouse if you're stabbing him in the back? That doesn't reflect an actual love that would accompany and make intimacy like physical intimacy meaningful. As I I mentioned in a previous episode that your spouse should be your best friend And sure, you can have other close friends and, you know, you might have someone who was your best friend up until the point where you met your spouse and you got married. But once you're married, you're committed to your spouse, your spouse should be your best friend. And so now what used to be your best friend is your second best friend (laughs) at best. And so he or she is now your second best friend because your spouse is your best friend. With your spouse, you should share your deepest pains and your goals for success, even ones that you have you've never revealed to anyone. They've been looming inside you. They've been heartfelt desires, and if they're good desires that you could share with your spouse, you should share these with your spouse. 
these um, secret goals or what have you that you've been longing to do. But now that you have a spouse, you should be able to share things with your spouse that it wouldn't even cross your mind to share with other people, even your former best friend. So that, I think all this is part of the intimacy package. If you're truly intimate and committed to intimacy with your spouse, intimacy involves love and care and sharing close things with your spouse. One of my favorite verses that goes along with this is Proverbs 31, 11. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. I just love how that verse talks about just that trust relationship between the husband and wife and wives and women. We love to talk. And especially for extroverted women, I think this can be um, an area to be mindful about is that we like to talk about things. We like to talk about relationships. So just being careful what we talk about with our friends and with our family, because we want to make sure our husband can trust us and that his heart is never concerned about what we're talking about with our friends and I always just try and picture like, okay, if my husband was standing right beside me, would I be speaking this way? Would I be saying these same things I'm saying right now? Because I just want to make sure I'm always speaking honorably about my husband and making sure I am not putting him down. And I think that it kind of goes a little bit further that you don't put down your husband to your friends or family, but also you don't put down each other to each other. And that can be kind of hard to see sometimes because it can be in little remarks such as, oh, that was a crazy idea or that was stupid. Why did you shoot that? And what? I can't believe you, whatever. (laughs) Or you're just so sensitive (laughs) and don't freak out. But and one of the worst ones is he doesn't know what he's talking about. So those are ways that you're putting down each other, and those are things that we don't really think about, but they can come out of our mouth so quickly, and that is cutting at the person's character, is cutting at who they are, and you're basically saying that that person is incapable, and that is not the message that we want to be giving our spouse or our family and friends. Like We want to be able to encourage and uplift each other. And one more thing to point out. Sorry, this is taking a little bit longer. (laughs) Point point away. (laughs) (laughs) I know we've been talking about like not talking bad about your spouse to friends, but also if there are concerns about something that's going on in your marriage, that you should be able to talk to someone like a counselor, a pastor, pastor's wife about what that concern is. And a concern is different than talking bad. So a concern would be, you know, I'm concerned my husband is spending all of our savings or, you know, I'm concerned my wife is coming home way after the time she should be home or, you know, things like that. Those are concerns and that's different than actually talking bad. And those are things that if you need to seek out advice or counsel on those areas. 
Yes, definitely. So we are. And the idea of it should be that, you know, if there's a concern with what your spouse is doing or something that could be getting in the way of the full scope of intimacy that we're talking about, the first person to discuss this with should be your spouse. Now, if you happen to be in a situation where that's kind of dangerous, you know, your spouse is really being unfaithful or threatening, you know, obviously, God forbid, that's not a good, (laughs) uh, that's not a biblical marriage right there. And then if there's such a situation where you feel like it's not safe, you know that your spouse is not intent on trying to resolve a problem, but escalate it, then yes, go seek a pastor or counselor, you know, don't gossip it around or backstab. The idea is, what do I do? Somebody help me, someone who can help me, you know, but otherwise, if there isn't uh, such an extreme situation like that, the first person, if you're both intent on trying to make the marriage work out, is to seek your spouse. If you have a concern, bring it up to your spouse first. That's part of uh, one flesh and intimacy there. So that was uh, point number one. What does one flesh mean? Well, one flesh in intimacy, that means no cheating on both the aspects of physical intimacy and anything that would pertain to love and support and caring. Um, The next aspect of one flesh, what does one flesh mean that we want to get into, is number two, that they should be one flesh in goals. And so the first one was no cheating. The second one would be no competition. And so as a husband and wife who are now one flesh, not two, they should be one in goals. (laughs) Now that you're married, your interests, husband, are her interests and her interests, wife, are your interests. So (laughs) now that you um, share things in common as you're married, now you should share common interests, which when we talked about tips for singles looking for a spouse, I think this came up. You should share your interests as you're becoming friends, you know, even before you introduce romance there, because that helps once you're married. Now, all of your interests should be all of each other's interests. A big thing that helps with this, with keeping uh, husband and wife, one flesh and goals would be to pray together. And that's definitely a powerful thing. When you pray together, I know as the, the old uh, proverb goes, the family that prays together stays together. And there's definitely power in praying together as your hearts are knit in talking to God together. And, you know, if you've talked about concerns, you're both directing your concerns and your stresses and your praises together toward the one God, asking that one God for help or praising that one God together. And so praying together keeps your hearts knit together as your one flesh and goals. Yeah, I love that imagery of how you explain like that our hearts are knit together and just thinking about when you're married and it's not a competition between the husband and wife because you're on the same team. Mm. You're the cheerleader for each other. And 
uh, I know we were talking about earlier on that same topic, you don't want to keep score of, oh, you accomplished this. Now it's my turn to accomplish this. Or you did this fault. Now I can have a fault. Like you're not keeping score on what each other have accomplished or where you have failed at. You guys are working together. You're helping each other. And I think that picture of your hearts knitted together just kind of helps with that imagery of being on the same team. And also you're able to be yourself and be honest or genuine with each other when there's no competition. And then that brings you closer together. And when there's competition, that's driving you apart. And I think that causes a lot of conflict and disharmony in the marriage. Another thing to think about sometimes with competition is sometimes we get in a mindset of, which I'm thinking we might be doing a episode about. Oh, yes. Conflict resolution. Yeah, sounds like a good idea, babe. I think we're on the same page there. Does <laughs> <laughs> that mean our, our hearts are knit together about that? <laughs> Yay, we're on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I was thinking a lot of times we fall into the trap of desiring to always be right or to oh, win. Yes. And then that puts us right in back into that competition again. Like, oh, well, I have to win this argument because I'm the man or I need to win it because I'm the woman and the woman's always right. You know, we just have that mindset that we always have to win or we always have to be right. But we see in scripture that that's not the mindset God wants us to have. He wants us to be humble. He wants us to show grace to each other and to put the other person ahead of ourselves. So one other quick comment I thought was interesting too, just trying to read up on this a little bit more is a lot of times when husband and wife are in competition with each other, then you see a lot of the ultimatums. Like Mm. you better do X and if you don't, then I'm going to do Y. Oh, yes. (laughs) Or the, you know, it's my way or the highway type of attitude. And I think that's so dangerous in a marriage. And again, that's driving the couple apart. It's tearing that one flesh apart and not bringing them together. Yeah, definitely. Good thoughts there, sweetheart. And there's some uh, good questions to ask here about, for instance, are separate bank accounts really one flesh here? You know, if you're a couple, now I know you could have different bank accounts set aside for different things like medical expenses and, you know, vacation expense or whatever like that. But to make it so it's like, okay, here's my account and here's your account because this is my money and this is your money and I'll spend my money, the money I earn the way I want. And if you want money to spend, you earn your money. And like, that doesn't sound like one flesh to me. I'm sure different couples have different ways of working out the bank account thing, but I just have to ask the question, does intentionally creating separate bank accounts to allocate separate spending habits that to me, that just doesn't seem like working toward one flesh with the idea that it's our, we need pronouns like we and our, not I and you, <laughs> um, when especially when things that come to finances, because now with the family unit, like, what is it? Okay, if you have kids, is it like, okay, now my money goes toward this kid or my money pays for these things for our kids and your money pays for these things and you mentioned fireproof earlier i remember the first conflict that kirk cameron and who was it who 
played his wife in the movie there. Aaron Bethia. Okay, yeah. And the first argument that they show that they have where they're talking about, here's my job, this is what I earn, I'm I'm saving up for my boat, and, you know, you buy the groceries, and I pay for the repairs of the house, and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, you know, whether one works or both works, you know, it should be one money pot that we own, and we together determine how we pay the bills and we save up and so on. It's not my savings and your savings or my expenses and your expenses. It's ours. That's what one flesh means. And when it comes to goals, I think that would include uh, financial goals. And I would think that would demand that you don't try to segregate bank accounts and spending habits. And because you mentioned competition there, there might be the tendency to end up where they're both, you know, might be trying to spend more and more to try to keep the other one from getting money that they can spend. It's almost like a tragedy of the commons there rather than the goal together, saving together and spending together. Another question, are separate career goals without the support of each other really one flesh? So when I say one flesh, in goals, I don't mean, okay, what career are we going to have? Like, okay, if one's going to be a doctor, we both have to be doctors. That's not what I mean. I mean that, you know, if one has a career goal, the other should be able to support it as necessary. Like, for instance, if a spouse has to go to college and get uh, an advanced degree or whatever for a particular career, the husband and wife should be able to both talk it out and then determine how we're going to support each other in that endeavor. (laughs) So kind of on a personal note, talking about supporting each other with goals, I just have to do a shout out to my amazing husband because... I had always wanted to pursue my master's in nursing to specifically be a nurse midwife so I could use my advanced practice uh, to provide women's care and ultimately help with minimizing women going through abortions or feeling pressured to have abortion, being able to do the abortion pill reversal. Mm-hmm. And you were just so supportive of me, like helping me with papers and helping with kids. Oh, yes. <laughs> it was definitely challenging to have a couple little guys and <laughs> good yeah. getting my postmasters like that and so you helped me with that goal and mm-hmm. then I got to not that we're keeping score <laughs> I guess that sounds kind of bad it's our score yeah <laughs> Well, I just feel like also honored that I get to support you and your goals and your goals of like doing the podcast and just praying for you, supporting you in that, even doing some of these podcasts with you is Mm -hmm. a huge blessing. And also your recent book. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm going to talk about that. (laughs) mentioned your book a few times. Oh, yeah. So I've been talking about a surprise and I've been slowly revealing aspects of it that involve words and that it's a book. And so I guess in this episode, it's time to spill all the beans and talk about what this book is. And so on July 17th, (laughs) I'm planning to release a book that I co-authored with my brother, John. And this book is entitled, When the Watchtower Knocks, Discussing an Encounter with Jehovah's Witnesses. (laughs) And so... (laughs) That sounds really amazing. 
So can you tell us a little bit about your book? Like give us a little brief summary, what your book's about, like maybe what topics it covers or... So When the Watchtower Knocks is actually you read a discussion that I had with my brother John about an encounter that he had with Jehovah's Witnesses several years ago. They came to his apartment inviting him to a play and then kind of eventually when he found out who they were, he was on the spot there, you know, trying to think, do I shut the door? Do I talk with this? Well, actually first it was one guy and then later on he asked if his uh, learned friend could come over and join the discussion discussion. And so my brother John stuck to it. He talked uh, with them about several topics, including, you know, who Jesus Christ is. And so as John relays his conversation with these two Jehovah's Witnesses, then you kind of have the commentary on that as John and I talk with each other about what they said, what he said, and then okay, did they say something challenging? Let's uh, dismantle that. And so there's a lot of doctrine in there and a lot of Bible verses and exegesis there, but I think it's in a very readable format. It's a conversational style. And so once uh, you get to read uh, When the Watchtower Knocks, you get to read and study an actual conversation with Jehovah's Witnesses. So it's right from the horse's mouth out there. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for the release of this book. I am lucky that we are one flesh and I get to <laughs> have the sneak peek at it because this book is awesome. I really liked that it was conversational because it made you feel like, oh, this is something I could probably do. And yet it was still teaching you so much about how to engage in these conversations with JWs and how to feel confident in the verses to explain the Trinity and just the different arguments that the Jehovah's Witness might bring up. So I think that it's a great tool and we are so excited to share this with everyone. So can you tell us where we would be able to purchase this book on July 17th? So on July 17th, it'll be released first to Amazon, and then I'm going to work toward getting it available on other distributors such as Ingram's database uh, through Ingram Spark, and then Barnes & Noble Press, so on, wherever I can get the book distributed. So this is a self-published endeavor, but by self-published, it's going to be under the imprint of Truth Hub Publishing because I plan to get some more books out as this self-publishing endeavor would be essentially my own publishing company. <laughs> oh, you're so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Sweetheart. And so, yes, as we talked about one flesh and goals, I am so thankful for you, sweetheart, for encouraging me in this and allowing me uh, sometimes when things are hectic to be able to work on editing this and formatting it. Because uh, other than the cover, uh, I just paid a little bit to someone on Fiverr, which is a, a site for freelancers uh, work. I formatted the thing myself, you know, type said it formatted and hopefully it looks professional <laughs> yeah you did a great job <laughs> <laughs> thank you sweetheart one flesh and goals and 
So to think about what one flesh in goals would be like, think of a marriage like a team of two. And if you look at a sports team, you know, think of the Super Bowl every year and hoping that your favorite team or your home team gets in the Super Bowl. And when if it doesn't, the next best thing, a sports team can't win a game when the members of that team are at odds with each other. If you're going to play by the rules and if you're looking toward victory, every member of the team has to be playing together, not against each other. And so if that's what we expect of a sports team, how would we expect a couple to make marriage work and to win at life together if they're competing with each other? I also think of the analogy of like, say you're walking together and you come to a fork in the road and one of you thinks, well, maybe one way is the best. Let's go left. And then say the husband says, let's go left. And the wife says, let's go right. Cause the wife is right. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you get the point, my analogy there. But um, so instead of going their separate ways, because they both think maybe this way is the right one to work it out as a marriage as a team you discuss it and you ultimately together figure out we're both gonna go this direction and so that's kind of like what happens you know what could be in marriage if there are difficulties or decisions that come up the idea is that you make the decision together you take that fork in the road so what happens when you come to a fork in the road as a couple you take it (laughs) (laughs) ever wish you could get together with a friend over coffee each week and talk about God's word me too hi I'm Anthony Russo. I'm the host of Grace and Peace Radio. Grace and Peace Radio is a Christian living blog and podcast dedicated to engaging conversations about applying God's Word to everyday life. I hope you'll join me, Anthony Russo, on Grace and Peace Radio each week at graceandpeaceradio.com or right here on the Christian Podcast Community.org. So I think that's where I was mentioning earlier that it can be dangerous kind of having the mindset of some of the common cliches that you hear like, okay, happy wife, happy life, (laughs) or the wife is always right, or okay, you should always go with the husband because he's the leader, not necessarily saying like, okay, yes, the husband needs to lead his family, but it's coming together like you said Mm -hmm. and communicating and discussing what is in the best interest of both of you and what is in the best interest of your family and I think that that's where we see where scripture actually gives us more direction than when we see world cliches when um, we are together in our goals. Yes, we are. And so coming to a fork in the road and taking it and be, yes, being together on goals. And we mentioned careers and not competing. So here's some examples of when couples are not one flesh and goals competing with each other over who earns more money say the wife feels threatened because the husband earns more money and 
given the current political landscape, it shouldn't ought to be, you know? (laughs) And so it's like, okay, woman power, the wife needs to earn at least as much as, if not more than the husband. (laughs) And so it's like, if she feels threatened because their husband's earning more, well, if you're one flesh in your goals and you're one flesh, as we mentioned before, in your bank account, (laughs) if the husband earns more than the wife, it should be a good thing for the wife because that's their money as a team. And and I'd also like to say there also that the husband shouldn't feel threatened if his wife happens to earn more. <laughs> so, you know, you're one flesh. You're not fighting against each other over what you spend, but also what is earned and who's the breadwinner here. And as we explained with goals, we shouldn't be competing. The husband and wife shouldn't be competing over whose career opportunities take precedence. So I think, I know you've mentioned the verse before in Philippians 4 about let not the other. (laughs) Oh, are you thinking of Philippians 2, uh, is it 3, 4? Like let each esteem other better than themselves. Okay. <laughs> and lowliness of mind, like, let each esteem other better than himself. Yeah. Yes. So I think if we have that verse in mind, then it doesn't matter education, finances, careers, your goals, all of that should be supported and it should come from the mindset of how can I help you get there and how you come beside me and say, how can I help you reach your goals? And you're coming together because you're esteeming each other, you're respecting each other, you're loving each other. And I think that is how you become one flesh in your goals and you're putting the other's interests ahead of your own. And I think that, I mean, there's so many verses that can kind of support that idea as well. But I just think that, like you were saying, there's so much depth to what one flesh means And when you're coming together in your goals, that just draws you together. And when you love each other and support each other like that, you want to be there for that person. You want to help them get there. And it just, it's like hard to explain. It just draws you closer together and you just feel like, oh, I just want to be there for that person because you just love them so much and you want to support them. Yes. In the past episode, you know, you mentioned the, was it 80% thing with the book? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. It's not 50-50. It's not 80-80 or whatever. As the Bible says, you know, you esteem the other. And if, if you're esteeming each other above yourself... How can that result in anything but being one flesh? (laughs) Here's a biblical example of a husband and wife who were one together in goals. Acts 18.26, referring to Apollos, who had known the baptism of John. And he, Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly or more completely. And so whenever you see Aquila or Priscilla mentioned in the New Testament, they're always together. They're always doing things together. And here, the two of them, husband and wife, both explained the truth to Apollos and that Jesus had come, the Holy Spirit was there. So they explain together the way of God more perfectly. And so there you go. There's an example in the Bible of husband and wife, one flesh, shared goals for the ministry. 
So that is point number two. And now quickly we'll get into point number three of what it means to be one flesh. Finally, number three, husband and wife should be one flesh in struggles. And so I have uh, also referred to this as no cowardice. <laughs> so, you know, as we mentioned about the covenant of marriage, that it's um, in sickness and in health, for rich or for poor, till death do you part. So that means when you're making the covenant of marriage, it's not just for the good times, it's also for the bad times, it's also for the difficult times. And so, as we mentioned, each esteeming other better than themselves, seeing the needs of each other above your own needs. Remember that the vows that are made in marriage are always for both positive and negative situations. And now I'd like to give a word of advice as a husband to the husbands or even would-be husbands out there. Husbands, be willing to listen to your wife. If she has a struggle, she needs to talk it through. So don't shrug it off. That's uh, the need of a wife. She's got, if she has something inside, she's got to get it out and you need to hear it. And if you hear it, if you don't shrug it off, don't ignore it, don't minimize it, don't make fun of it, and don't criticize it. She needs to tell it, and you need to hear it. It doesn't matter how insignificant you think it might be. If it's important to her, it's important to you. Remember, we've just mentioned intimacy and interests are mutual. So even if you have to keep your mouth shut and listen for 10 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour or two hours, do it. You'll find that very often what your wife needs is a listening ear and a caring heart. Husband, if you're not willing to listen, your wife might just find someone else who will because you know, she needs someone to listen to uh, her struggles and her stresses. And remember, you need to be her best friend. So if she is willing to share her concerns more deeply with one of her girlfriends than you, there's going to be problems. So husbands, you need to be the ear that your best friend, your wife, should be able to share her concerns with for her sake. And as I said, her interests are your interests. So make them your interests and you'll find that if you do that, there's going to be greater intimacy that is definitely a strong part of one flesh. Yeah, those are great tips for the <laughs> husband, but I think it kind of goes both ways too, so I'm going to... <laughs> well, I'm speaking from the perspective of a husband, so you yes. got some ideas for the wives there. I do. <laughs> uh-huh. um, I think it's awesome that you do listen to me and you take the time. And wives, we do need to be considerate of when we try to talk with our husbands And just thinking of, okay, he had a stressful day at work and he comes home. And then all of a sudden, as soon as he walks in the door, you just want to lay everything on him, which is really hard because he's Uh sometimes he's the first adult you've seen all day. And Uh I know I struggle with that sometimes too, but just trying to be mindful of timing of when you have those deeper concerning conversations with your husband. 
and that communication and listening, talking, that takes work. I know we talked mm-hmm. about that in the tips for singles about how marriage takes work. And mm-hmm. I think this is one of those areas that takes a lot of work and it definitely needs that work behind it too. So not just listening, but being an active listener. Yes. So being an active listener would be like making sure you're making eye contact when you're talking. <laughs> And that's really a way of intimacy when you're able to look at your spouse in the eyes and talk to them about these deep concerns you have or just even how their day went at work. There's a way to connect when you can have that eye contact, Um, making it a habit. So I know you and I, sweetie, we've been working hard at prioritizing, making time to just sit down and connect. Yes, yes. And trying to get into another room so we don't have the kids distracting us, mm-hmm. even though they somehow quickly find us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like tonight, it was <laughs> it was very difficult to get away from our little extroverted daughter who's wanted our eyeballs on her at all times. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but it's still like just making that effort of, all right, let's go sit in a room, sit next to each other, hold hands, like just even if we aren't able to say anything, just that Mm. motion I think is so, um, it speaks volumes to us women because that is one of our needs is like you said communication and just that you take that step to be like okay I'm here I am available to listen to you I think that speaks a lot even if we don't get very much in at that time (laughs) yes Um, and also active listening involves eye contact um, trying to eliminate distractions So, okay, yes, maybe a guy can be silent for the two hours we're talking, but that doesn't necessarily mean being Mm. on your phone for the two hours (laughs) or watching a football game while you're trying to talk to. It's actually, again, eliminating the distractions, making sure you can have eye contact. And if you hold her hand, that's like an extra bonus. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Um, that's part of one flesh, holding hands. (laughs) But, and also, again, for the wives, making sure that we allow our husbands to talk about their day too, because they had things that go on for them. They are under stress at work or they might have had, you know, an interesting conversation or there's things that they want to share too. And it doesn't come as naturally for men a lot of times. Mm-hmm. I'm just making that a generalization. <laughs> yeah. It was fine. It was okay. <laughs> yeah. So we have to really work on digging a little bit more, trying to investigate. And not that we're trying to be nosy, but we're trying to get to know our spouse. Like, how did your day go? Not just good, but okay, what was stressful? What were some like rewarding parts of your day? Like you were able to figure out what the problem was with an email project. <laughs> just like trying to get more down to that to where you start to feel comfortable sharing some of that and then again that draws you closer together as a couple and so I think yes it's great for husbands to listen to your wife and be there but also for wives to engage in your husband's life as well and pull him in And uh, one last thing for the act of listening is just being able to 
say something back to your spouse that indicates to them that you are listening. Mm, So like um, earlier today, you were talking about how you were trying to figure out a problem with your project and you weren't sure what was happening. And so then my way of responding to you was, wow, that sounds like you had a lot of stress or that sounds like it was stressful, Mm -hmm. something like that. (laughs) So then that's communicating to you that I'm listening because now I know, okay, you were dealing with a stressful situation. So just that active listening of kind of showing your spouse that you are attentive and you're not just zoned out somewhere (laughs) and words are just flying and yeah and sorry i guess there was one more thing oh my goodness okay (laughs) the one last thing was not to talk over them which i think yes (laughs) some of our friends that we know that are extroverts (laughs) do not do that very well And I'm always like, wow, I feel bad for them because it seems like their conversation is a competition Mm. because it's like, oh, can I say it first or can I say this? And it's constantly talking over each other. And I know growing up, I had quite a few extroverts around me and I would feel drowned out Mm. because I couldn't (laughs) say anything with that going on. So (laughs) just making sure you don't talk over each other and that's being respectful of that other person. Yes, and as introverts, it's like when we want to say something, it's important. <laughs> but yeah, it takes a lot of courage for us to get something out. <laughs> and yes, good thoughts there, babe, on conversations, communication, so that husband and wife are one flesh and knowing each other's struggles. And yeah, so as you mentioned, finding a convenient time to listen because listening is really important, as the Bible calls it. Incline your ear in the uh, the Hebrew there. As you mentioned, so we are the when the husband comes home from work, if that's the setup there where the husband is the primary one working, if the wife is a stay-at-home mom or, you know, she might have a lot on her chest to get off. And so husband, you should also be willing to wait for the convenient time there. Like say, okay, you know, if the kids are something, you got to work together to deal with the kids and when you put them to bed, tell husband that's not the time where you go, okay, now I'm so tired. Let me just shut off everything. You know, that might be the time where now it's time to listen <laughs> because your wife has something on her ch- uh, that she needs to get out, you know, to help her with her stress there. Because if she can't talk about it, it's going to loom and it's going to grow. And so, you know, listen, even if it's at midnight, you know, <laughs> be willing to listen for as long as it takes your stress of work is not something that you know you just take out by conking out and she doesn't get to (laughs) relieve her stress uh, because you need to listen (laughs) and listen intently you know if you got to drink another cup of coffee do it (laughs) (laughs) let me get you a cup of coffee it's gonna be a long night of talking (laughs) I was thinking of a great verse to maybe close this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, James one nineteen. We need to be swift to hear, slow to speak, oh. and slow to wrath. That's a good verse, sweetheart. <laughs> well, I have a verse here, but that's not a competition here <laughs> to close it. But, you know, <laughs> but it's a good verse to close it because of what it says. <laughs> oh, sorry. I oh. just have one more thing. 
Oh, okay. Go ahead, Which sweetie. I think we <laughs> do need to talk about communication on another episode as well. Yes. Because there's a lot to it. But just one more thing about maybe the active listening part of it is not criticizing what the other person is saying mm. when they're talking. Definitely. So being mindful of your comments to them mm. because you don't want to shut them down. You're trying to let them open up and feel comfortable to talk about what's going on. And if you say like, now, why did you do that? Or why did you think that? Then that can shut the other person down mm. quickly. Yes. And then you're not connecting again. So, yeah, just yeah. wanted to throw that. And I think this verse goes along with that. So, oh, <laughs> yes. First Peter 3, 7. Likewise, you husbands dwell with them, referring to their wife, according to knowledge. You got to know her. You got to understand her. Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. I like that part because I think that's like almost worth its own episode there. But yes, yeah, definitely <laughs> talked about I love that. Your view on that one. <laughs> no. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. And so there we have the one flesh right there. But husbands dwell with your wife according to knowledge, according to understanding of her. And that means sharing her struggles, listening, communicating. Don't be a coward. Don't run away from it, you know, because you're not one flesh if you don't know what her struggles are. And likewise, you know, you're not one flesh if she doesn't know what yours are. <laughs> <laughs> and so there are our as being one flesh <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> our points are outline about uh, what one flesh in marriage means and so i believe that genesis 2:24 about the husband and wife becoming one flesh it's poetic and broad in that way because it's deep and so i hope that um, this episode really helps you all to think about especially those of you who are married, uh, what one flesh entails in all of its beauty and depth and that these um, points of discussion were helpful. And so stay tuned to the next episode of Truth Espresso as we um, talk about uh, communication and conflict resolution. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 